0: If you, if you got your Bibles, let's, let's try that again. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and open our Bibles, if you got them, to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, it's good to see the fellowshipping going on. I, I like to hear that. I like to see that. Everybody enjoying each other's company today. So that's wonderful. Uh, But now we open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14 this morning, 9 through 13 this morning. And I have some great news here for you today in this passage. Probably what we're going to look at today is the greatest news you'll ever hear. Uh, it, it is, it, for me, it doesn't get any better with, than what this passage teaches us today. I've been ready to go, fired up, and ready to preach this passage today. I look forward to it, uh, and I titled the passage, and here's the good news. The title of the passage, of the sermon, is the good news that you need to hear today, and the title is, Jesus, the Friend of Sinners. That's, a, that's great news, and, and I'll say this, if you thought that, you know, that's not great news. The more of a sinner you are, the better news that is. Jesus is a friend to sinners. That's great news to me, because I'm probably the greatest sinner in this room. So Jesus is a friend to those who are sinners. So let's stand together, and we're going to look at this passage. i titled it again, Jesus, and you're going to hear me say that a lot today. Jesus, the friend of sinners. And I'm going to read verses 9 through 13. This is a great passage, and you're going to see how Jesus is a friend to sinners here today. Starting in verse 9. And again, I love this passage, and I think you will too. Verse 9, and, G- and as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, They said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And this last phrase is one of the greatest phrases in the entire Bible. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's a great phrase, and you'll see that as we look into it. Let's pray together, and then we'll study this passage. Father, we thank you for this truth that the passage teaches us, that you are a friend to sinners, because if you wasn't, we'd all be in very, very deep trouble. Because every one of us in here, the Bible says there's none righteous, there's not even one. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us in here. So the greatest news that any of us can hear, music to our ears is that our Savior is a friend to sinners. Let this sink into our hearts today. Convict those who don't even think they're sinful, that they are. Comfort those who are full of sin. They need to know that Jesus is their friend. Please bless this preaching today, this passage. May it be for the edifying of your people and the saving of those who are lost. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We're coming upon the Christmas season. Let me rephrase that. We're, we may be right in the middle of the Christmas season, how some people deal with it today, me included. I'll say this again. Christmas may have started last month for some of you guys. That's just how we do things nowadays. We make Christmas last as, as long as we can. And the question of Christmas, and I, I like that about Christmas because we get to ask some good biblical questions. And I want to ask today a Christmas question. Why did Jesus come into the world? That's a great question. Why did He come? What was the purpose in Him coming? What was His reason for coming? What was His mission? When the Father sent Him into this world, and when He came into this world, it shows that He came from somewhere, that He was not created, that He didn't have a beginning, that He always was, and He always is, and He always will be. That's who Jesus is. So He came. Why did He come? What was His purpose in coming? What was the mission that He came to accomplish? And let me give you this answer, and you need to underline it, you need to highlight it. We all need to know this answer. Jesus came into the world, this reason and this reason alone, to save sinners. That's what it says there in verse 13, that He came not to call the righteous, but He came to save sinners. That, that's a, we need to highlight that, we need to emphasize that. I need to say that over and over and over, that Jesus came to save, underline it, highlight it, embolden it, He came to save sinners. And the Bible speaks to that over and over and over. Matthew 18.11 says this. Let me just give you a few verses. Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and save those who are lost. Sinners. Let me give you another one. Matthew one twenty one. Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. He came to save sinners. Luke 2.11 For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Coming to save those who are sinful. I'll give you another one. John one twenty nine. And these are all front loaded. In all the Gospels, he's putting it out in front, telling us why Jesus came. He came to save sinners. John 29, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. I'll give you another one. I know you guys are begging for more. Give us more of this, Josh. 1 Timothy 1.15. And I like amens. I do. I heard a guy say this week that we live in a world that, that our, our truth, the truth, in the world is booed and jeered. But when you come into church and you preach the truth, it deserves to be amen. For the people to stand up and say, hey, I believe that too. Amen. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.15 says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all. Oh, it says acceptation here, but I believe it means worthy of all amens. This is a faithful saying and worthy of Everybody. I'm begging for amens here. This is worthy of everybody in here saying amen to. Look what he says. Watch this. Worthy of all amens. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul adds, of whom this guy right here is the chief of them all. So Jesus came. That's the truth. And you need to understand that. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to die for sinners. Jesus came to lay down His life for sinners. This is the message of Christianity. This is the heart of Christianity. This is the gospel. Jesus didn't come for the good, for the moral, for the upright, and for the righteous. Jesus came for sinners. He came for bad people. He came for sick people. He came for the wicked people, the, the corrupt, the vile, and yes, even the abominable people. Jesus came to save sinners. It's a great truth. And that's the whole point of this passage that we're looking at today. Because we saw, and I'm just going to go ahead and get into the context of it. We saw in verses 1-8 through that Jesus alone has the authority to forgive our sin. I love that. There's no pope, there's no priest, there's no pastor, there's no parent, there's nobody else in the world that can forgive sin other than Jesus Christ. He told the paralytic there, Rise and walk. He he told him that he's going to forgive his sin. He didn't say, God will, he said, I will. That's Jesus having the authority and the power to completely wipe away every sin in our life. Now, the question that we come to in verse 9 is this is a big question who does he forgive? How far will Jesus go? Better question, how low does he go in saving sinners? Is there anybody too low for Jesus to save? That's the question here. Is there anybody too dirty? Is there anybody too sinful? Is there anybody that he looks at and he says, That is a lost case. I can't save that one. Is there anybody Jesus won't forgive? That's the whole point of this passage. How low will he go? And this story will show us that not only does Jesus save the worst of the worst sinners, Jesus delights in saving the worst of the worst sinners. Jesus is actually a friend to sinners. So let's look at this passage. I'm going to give you three headings as we work our way through this. It may be the easiest outline I've ever given. Let's start with number one, verse nine. I want to show you the social outcast. The social outcast. Look at verse nine with me. It says in Jesus, as, uh, as, as Jesus passed forth from thence, so we see again in context of the first eight verses that Jesus was in Peter's house and they were flocking to them. The, the paralyzed man was lowered down from the ceiling and he, he, made, he healed him and raised him to walk and he walked out and, and now Jesus with the, the crowds all around him, he walks out of the house and he's going to walk along the seashore kind of taking a break from all the preaching and teaching and healing that he's doing, he steps out of the house and walks along the seashore. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, you see that? He's walking along the the seaside. Mark 2 says that, walking along the, the sea. And it's on purpose. He walks out of the house along the sea line and he's looking for one person. This is not incidental. This is not accidental. This is Jesus going out on purpose looking for one person. And look what he does. And Jesus passed forth from thence, and he saw. I, I looked it up in, in, in the Greek last night. I, I wanted to see it for myself. I and mean, what did the word saw mean? And, and what it means is he fixed his eyes upon. He locked eyes with. You ever locked eyes with somebody? Most of us, doesn't. we don't like eye contact. If I locked eyes with you right now, you'd probably just put your head down and say, he's talking to me. You know, <laughs> you, know you, you ever just locked eyes with somebody? You know, I remember a high school homecoming dance. Me and Steph just locked eyes. You know, <laughs> she's not over there. <laughs> Whew. But that's what it, he, he locked eyes with a man named Matthew. You see this here? I want you to see that. He locked eyes. He saw this man. He had a a fixed eyes on. He was locked in with this man named Matthew. Now the question is, who is Matthew? And everybody here should know that this Matthew, the first mention of, of Matthew in the Gospels, he's the one that's writing this Gospel. It says, Matthew, who is this guy? As Jesus locks eyes with him, he's sitting in a little booth along the seaside. And he's collecting taxes. And everybody knows that the taxman is the most hated man in the world. It was then even worse than it is now. Even today, if the IRS calls you, you're not very happy with the IRS. We don't like the tax man. Nobody at this time liked the taxman. He sat at this booth and he took everybody's money. Nobody likes somebody who's going to take your money. So he's the most hated, despicable, public enemy number one in this town what, what what was he like let me just give you a, a, a character traits of this guy he was a traitor Matthew was a traitor he was working for Rome a Jewish man who had turned his back on his own people and his own family to work for the opposition and to take money from his people he was a traitor I mean, they, they, they hated him. He was a Benedict Arnold. He was a, a turncoat. He had turned his back on his family, his heritage, his religion, everything that he grew up with, all for this. The mighty dollar. Not only was he a traitor, he was a thief. Because he, he could charge as much tax as he wanted. He would sit there in his little booth, and I don't have time to go through it all. This is fascinating to me. He would sit there in his little booth, and as people passed by, he'd say, what do you got in your hands? They'd say, a letter. You owe taxes on that. They pass by and he'd say, what do you got there, a donkey? it has got four legs, you owe me a coin for every leg. A tax on the donkey legs. How many wheels you got on that? Every time it turns, you owe me a penny. And he's just taking money from everybody. Everything they bought, everything. They'd go fishing and bring fish. He'd say, tax on that, tax on that, tax on that. He was taking their money. He taxed everything and made a fortune off of it. You say, why didn't they just say no? In that little tax booth, he had some thugs with him, enforcers. And if you didn't give the money, <laughs> it's like the mafia. They got the money. They, they'd shake it out of you. That's who Matthew is. I and mean, he had these guys to protect him and to enforce these things. He was a wicked and evil man. That's who Matthew was. The Jews considered him, and i, I got to get into this because you guys are sitting there wondering why I'm telling you about a tax man. The Jews considered him the worst of the worst sinners. They considered him the vilest man in the world. He was the most wretched. They, they had a level of sin. And a tax man was one rung below prostitute. The Jews would call him Unforgivable. <laughs> They would say he can never be forgiven. They barred him from the temple. In Luke 18, when the Pharisees stood up to pray in front of everybody, he said, "Thank God I'm not a tax collector, because they are the worst people in the world. This is the type of person that you do not. In our culture today, you'd look at it and say, "Why are they in church?" They were barred from synagogue, barred from the temple. You couldn't even bring a, a tax collector into court because they'd said they're witness. was no good because they were liars this is the worst of the worst sinner in town and jesus now has his eyes fixed on the worst sinner and he shows us the type of person jesus saves jesus looks at this guy and he says i want you on my team you fit right in with the guys that i got because they're all a bunch of sinners that's what he's saying here. How, how, how Matthew is writing this down. One verse here. Jesus, he's saying, who does Jesus save? How far does Jesus go? How low does he go? And Matthew says, see, exhibit A. This is how far Jesus goes. He saves somebody like me. And Jesus looks at him and he says, and I, I've got to hurry or we'll be here a while. He, he looks at him and says, look, he sits at the seat of custom and he says unto him, here's his summons, follow me i like that jesus is seeking him out jesus is initiating the conversation he's seeking he's searching he's pursuing he found matthew in a tax booth where'd he find you at he found me in a church 15 years ago where'd he find you at understand you wasn't looking for jesus he was looking for you he found him in a tax booth he found me in a church where'd he find you at here he finds him and he looks at him and says follow me These are his favorite words. He says, drop what you're doing and follow me. And what does it mean to to follow Jesus? He, it's personal, I like that. He says, Matthew, follow me. He's pointing at one man and one man only. His eyes are fixed on one man. Pointing at him, you follow me. You drop everything that you're doing and all that you're living for. You leave that booth and all the coins and all the taxes that you've took. You leave those thugs. You leave everything behind. And you come follow me. It's a great call. Leave everything you know. And all I'm going to tell you is, You have Jesus. That's all he tells him. Follow me. It's the same thing he says to everyone in here. You follow me. It is the command and call of the gospel. You follow me. What does Matthew do? I like to think there's a pause there. I have a period after follow me and a little blank space. Right before and. And I like to think in that little blank space that Matthew's mind starts turning. And he's thinking, why would somebody like that have anything to do with somebody like this? He knew Jesus. And as Jesus passed by, he thought he would never look at me. Why would somebody like that have something to do with somebody like me? You've got to see yourself in the same place. Why would somebody like Jesus have anything to do with somebody like Josh? Why would He want me to follow Him? Why in the world would He call me? Out of all the crowd and all the people that He could be calling, why would He look my direction? I'm the worst of the worst. I'm the lowest of the low. I deserve to be in a gutter somewhere. But the King of kings and the Lord of lords is looking at me and saying, I want you. And right here, in the, right here in this pause, in this white space, Matthew says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to go bury my dead. I'm not going to tell anybody by. I'm going to right now pick up all my stuff and I'm going with that guy. Look what he says. And he, and he arose, just like the paralytic did in verse 7. And he arose and he followed him. He got up and he went Immediately. There was no wait. There was no, I'll see you later, Jesus. It was right now, immediately he got up and he followed. He didn't follow a group or a religion or a cause or a movement or a denomination. No, he committed his life to Jesus Christ. He's no longer calling the shots. He's no longer the captain of the ship. He's not ruling his own roost. He is following Jesus, and that's what it means to be a Christian. Luke 5.28 says that when he got up to follow Jesus, he left it all. He forsook it all. He abandoned everything. I want, I want you, you don't have to turn there. I just don't want you, I don't want you guys to think that I'm making that up. I, I want to read it. I know I'm short on time here today, but Matthew five twenty-eight is what it says, and, and, And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi, which is Matthew, Levi, same thing, sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, follow me, and verse 28, and he left all, rose up, and followed him. He left everything. He abandoned everything that he had, and he got up and he followed Jesus. You say, what did it mean that he lost everything? Gave it all away. I'll tell you this, what Matthew lost is nothing compared to what he got. I wrote a few things down here. He left death and he gained life. That's what happens when you decide to follow Jesus. Because there's people in here right now saying, I can't follow Jesus. I'd have to give up. And you fill in the blank. I'd have to give up this. I'd have to give up this. I'd have to give up this. I'd have to give up my lifestyle. I'd have to give up the person I'm living with. I'd have to give up, you know, whatever sin you want to fill in the blank right there. I'd have to give it up. And we see here that whatever you give up is nothing compared to what you gain. You give up death and you gain life. You give up the darkness of this world and you gain the light of Christ. You you give up emptiness and you gain fullness. You give up gold, but you get God. You give up the world and you gain Christ. Whatever it is you're going to give up to follow Christ, you get more than you gave up. I like amens. You guys agree with that? If I said that in the world, out in the world, they'd mock me. But in here, you guys say, Amen. All that I gave up, I got so much more in following Jesus. Matthew 9 9 is Matthew's salvation story. And I can imagine when he, you think this is the most important event in his life, and he gives it one verse. And I can imagine when he's writing this down that he picks up his pen and there's tears in his eyes. He said, follow me. And I got up and followed him. And he didn't even mention what Luke mentioned, that he forsook it all, because he didn't want to brag on himself at all. He didn't want to toot his own horn. And he placed it here with miracles. You know why? Because it is one. And he placed it here in a section on forgiveness. You know why? Because if he wanted to tell his story to the whole wide world so that everybody would know it, all he wanted to be told was, he forgave me. And Jesus took this old, filthy, rotten sinner and made him a disciple, made him an apostle, made him a writer of the first book of the New Testament, and made him a household name. Why? Because Jesus is a friend of sinners. So there's the social outcast. Let me show you. Because that's the heart of the gospel. He came for sinners like Matthew. Let me show you the next one. I want to show you the surprising outreach. And this this may be my favorite point of the whole sermon we go from the, the, the social outcast to the surprising outreach. Because what, what does he do immediately? I mean, is, it, this is, is he sad? Is Matthew sad because of what he just gave up? He looked at those thugs and said, see you later, guys. No, he, you, you'll see it for yourself. He, he throws a party. All of heaven rejoices over one sinner coming to repentance. Here they rejoice over one sinner coming to repentance. In our churches today, there's not a whole lot of rejoicing going on. I think there should be conversion parties. And when people come forward to be saved, when you hear of somebody uh, professing faith in Jesus, we shouldn't say, we'll see. <laughs> we should be celebrating and rejoicing. That's what he does here. It says, look, look what it says, and it came to pass. A little bit of time passed. And what does Matthew do? It says, as Jesus said at meet. If you look at Luke 5 again, you don't have to turn there. It says, and Matthew made him a great feast, and there was a great company that came. So Matthew says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm so excited, and he had a big house. These tax collectors had the biggest houses in town. I got a big house over here on the hill, and I, I, can, I got all kinds of money. Matthew is probably the richest man that Jesus called to follow him. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to throw me a big chindig. I'm going to go up there, and we're going to have a banquet. I'm going to invite everybody that I know. And, and he decides, he's so excited, he's so thankful. And, and, and he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. And he sits down and he's like, let's, let's start inviting some people. And we're going to see who I can get to come to this, to this party, to this banquet. And look, let's look at the, the, the guest list that he, that he invites. And here's where it's surprising. Because look what he says. And it came to pass, as Jesus said at meat in his house, you see that word? I, I blocked it in there. Behold, there's the surprise. I said this last week. Anytime you see the word behold, it's like, wait till you hear this. See, this is going to amaze you. Your your jaw is going to drop at at who's at this banquet. He didn't invite the religious elite. He might have, but they wouldn't come. He didn't invite the, the social people that had all the money. Look who he has there. And behold, the other tax collector's And a whole lot of sinners came down. He was so excited about what Jesus had done for him. He said, I'm going to invite everybody I know. And I'm going to tell them what Jesus has done for me. So he gathers. And that's what this is. Publicans are other tax collectors. You know why? That's the only people he hung out with was other tax collectors. And then it says sinners. That's just a a catch-all word for all kinds and all types of sinners. Matthew was also a friend of sinners. That's who he he hung out with. So it shows here, uh, and I want you to see this, who was at this party? Publicans and sinners. These are not stained glass friends. These are sin-stained friends. Who is it? He's invited every ungodly person he knows. He's invited prostitutes. He's invited thieves. He's invited thugs. He's invited hitmen. He's invited drunkards. You name it, and they're at this party. You name it, all the dishonorable, sinful people you can think of, all the despised, outcast rejects that is in your mind. Think about that. If we were to have a party and they'll say, let's invite the worst people we know, you name it, fill in the blank. And he invited them to this party. This banquet that he's having. Matthew's gathered every friend that he has. At his own cost, at his own house. And why? One last party before he turns and follows Jesus, right? No. He wants to introduce every single one of them to the man who changed his life. To the only one who can forgive their sins. I like this about him. He immediately starts... Sharing the gospel with other people. He didn't have a class on it. He immediately goes out and he says, let me tell you about the man who who forgave me of all my sins. He's enthusiastic about it. (laughs) He didn't invite him to a funeral. He invited him to a party. He didn't come to him and say, oh, let me tell you about this man named Jesus. No, let me tell you about this man who, who changed my life. And he's done it lovingly. Because the most loving thing any of us can do is bring somebody to Jesus. The most loving friend you have, I said this last week, is the friend that helps you, brings you to Jesus. The greatest parent, the most loving parent in the world, this may get me in trouble, is not the parent that pushes you towards a sport. I love sports. My kids, all of them play. But the most loving parent you have is the one that pushes their kids toward Jesus. The most loving mom, the most loving father. I'll even say this, husbands, the best husbands in the world are the ones that push their wives closer to Jesus. That's how you lead a home. I want my wife to be closer to Jesus. So he brings them to to introduce them to Jesus. He's saying, Here's the man who forgave me and can forgive you. And that's all really the preacher has standing up here today, is it not? I have nothing to offer you, but here's the man who forgave me and he can forgive you. That's all I have to offer. That's what our church should be. Here's, I mean, that's what the gospel is. Let me tell you what he did for me. I had all these sins. I was corrupt. I was vile. I was wretched. I was abominable. I mean, my sins were in the, the millions upon millions upon millions. And Jesus came and watched them all the way. And he can do the same thing for anybody in this room. That's what he's doing. I think Matthew stood up to introduce Jesus. And that's the exact speech he gave. Maybe even word for word. <laughs> You guys know me. You know how I lived. You know what I did. You guys parted with me. This party's different. We're not, we're not here to get drunk. We're here to point you to Jesus. That's great. And what's Jesus doing? <laughs> Look what Jesus is doing. We're two verses in. <laughs> and it came to pass Jesus is sitting at meat in the house. You say, what does that mean? Jesus is laid back. He's reclined. He's relaxed. This is how they ate. They didn't eat in a hurry like we do. My, my, my kids, when they eat, you, you, you should watch my boys eat. You go to McDonald's, you give them like two hamburgers and two fries and a milkshake and pass it back. You know, we're passing it back in the van. And, and, and ten seconds later, they're passing me up trash. <laughs> Where did it go? And they're wanting something else. So I'm passing my hamburger back. <laughs> You know, we eat fast. We eat on the go. I mean, we'll do that here in a minute. We're going to go over there and eat, and it's going to be down that line, onto the table, and see you later, guys. In this time, I don't guess they had anything else to do, so they laid back and ate for a long time. And they would lay on the floor. Tables were real low, and Jesus is laid back on his elbow eating. And you know who he's eating with? The worst sinners in town. He's talking to them. And when you eat with somebody, you're, you're saying, I welcome you biggest thing you can have he's talking to them he's listening to them he's answering their questions and you better believe he's preaching the gospel to them all these sinners got to Jesus because of Matthew and you know what I think this is what heaven will be like it will be a who's who of sinners all gathered around a table And they're all there because Jesus forgave them of their sins. Ain't that what church is? Today we meet and we're all a who's who of a bunch of sinners. And we're all here because Jesus forgave us of our sins. We're not here because we're good. We're not here because we're moral. We're not here because we're upright. We're not here to put on a show. We're here because Jesus forgave us of our sins. The first thing that Matthew thought was, I need to tell my friends, the first thing in his mind, I need to tell my friends. The first thing in his, is my, in his mind is my friends need to, to know about Jesus. Our first thought must be, and I want to apply this to you, is I need to tell those closest to me about Jesus. That should be our first thought. Jesus repeatedly tells these guys, paralytic, go home. Demon-possessed guy, go home. This guy, Matthew, go home. Go to the people you know the best, those who are closest to you. Go and tell them what just happened to you. He's not calling us. A lot of us aren't going to be called to go and street preach. A lot of us aren't going to be called to go knock on doors. I mean, you can do it if you want to. That may not be your gift and your place. But all of us are told to go home to those closest to us and and tell them about Jesus. That's what we need to be doing. Our friends, our family, those closest to us, our greatest opportunity and our greatest impact in this world will be in our little homes. I like that. In our home with our friends. We could change this town if we reach those closest to us. We don't have to have a big event. If our fathers would just reach their wives and their children, it would change the world. If we just reach those at work, those friends, it would change the world. If we just reach our kids, I've got four kids. If I, if I can just uh, give them the gospel and, make them, and see that they're followers of Christ, then they'll have kids and they'll have wives and they'll have grandkids. And it'll just go on and on and on. If we could just reach our own little circle of friends and family and loved ones, we could make an impact in this world. Jesus repeatedly says, go home. Be at home. Tell the people at home what I've done for you. We could fill this church with just our own family members. We could impact generations with just those that are closest to us. If we could tell them what Jesus has done for us and he can do for them. That Jesus is a friend of sinners. Introduce them to the man who can forgive their sins. I urge you today to do that. Who's in your circle? I I started thinking about this week. Who's in my circle? You you guys know me. I've got a big family. And most of them come to church and sit right over here. I've got more that I've got to reach and and I've got more friends and and the people that God puts in my path and and if I meet people in the the weight room, I meet people as I'm out and they become friends and they become associates, all that God is doing is putting those people in my circle for me to tell them that their sins can be forgiven by Jesus. Our own little circle. So There's grandparents here. Reach your kids. Reach your grandkids. Reach... Just keep on reaching the people that you are within arm's length of. I think that's the greatest. People ask me all the time, what's your evangelism strategy? Like, well, you know, we do stuff. We, we knock on doors and we, we go to UVA Wise and, and we put on Facebook and we do stuff. But our greatest evangelism impact will be when our families start reaching those you know, at home those that were around, that changes the world. So there we saw the surprising outreach. And we're going to come to the last point. We saw this social outcast, the surprising outreach, and now I want to show you the self-righteous outrage. Look what it says in Verse 11, the Pharisees saw it. We talked about the Pharisees last week. Who are the Pharisees? They're the experts in the law. They knew the law inside out, upside down. They dotted every I and crossed every T. They were the legal experts of the law. They were the spiritual elite. They were the ones walking through town. Get this, they were the ones walking through town and everybody looked at them and said, Ooh, those guys are holy. Those guys know the Bible. Those guys, I mean, they are the, the elite. If anybody's going to heaven, it's those guys. So think about this. Jesus is eating with. Those guys are going to hell. Those are the dirty, rotten, sinful people. Those are prostitutes and, and drunkards and thieves and, and brutes and pagans and, and ungodly. They're filthy and nasty. They're going to hell. And these Pharisees were walking around like this right here. They could strut sitting down. I got you another one I don't know if I need to tell it (laughs) they could keep their noses in the air tying their shoes (laughs) you could tell I sit and think about these things they walk and you guys know the top they thought they were better than everybody else in the world and they spent their time thumbing their noses down at those people Jesus were eating with They were self-righteous. We're going to see them every week. Everywhere Jesus goes, they turn up. These people are the Pharisee praying, "I, I thank God I'm not like them. This is the prodigal son's brother. who When the prodigal son comes home, and they throw him a party, you see that? Because when people repent, God's people celebrate. And the prodigal son comes home. And the father welcomes him and loves him. Gives him the ring. Gives him the robe. Throws him a party. And the brother's over here saying, I don't know why he got a party. I'm better than he is. Self-righteous. Full of themselves. They think there's something else. They see all these sinners. And when and It says they see what's going on. They're watching Jesus. They're listening to Jesus. They're following Jesus. They're out to get Jesus. And they see him eating with these sinners. And believe me, they're not inside at that party. In my mind, I'm thinking about that too. They're not inside. They're on the outside looking through the windows. They wouldn't dare be seen in that house. They wouldn't dare be seen there. So they're sitting there saying, What's Jesus doing? He just passed bread to a prostitute. Oh my! Behold! (laughs) What is Jesus doing? They're standing outside watching and they're they're shocked and their blood pressure went through the roof. I mean, their face just turned blood red. They're sitting there ready to spit nails. I mean, they're just so mad. Jesus ought to shun those people. Why is Jesus eating with bad people? Hmm. Self-righteous. Spiritual pride. Know-it-alls. Full of themselves. They would sing holy, 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 but they'd sing it about themselves. Always looking down on other people. Despising others. Separating themselves from others. They would say, I'm a sinner. But I'm not like that. Carl Spurgeon said that the sin of self-righteousness is a smoking heap of rubbish. He also called it the most abominable sin in the sight of God. Self-righteousness. That you think you're better than what you are. That on the ladder of sin, I told you earlier, they had the ladder. And tax collector, I mean, I'd like to see their list. Tax collector, prostitute. What's your ladder? Because I assume that every single one of us thinks we're a little bit higher than what we ought to be. And we look down on all those others. You see what we do? Our sins are respectable. Our sins are okay. I think some of us are getting uncomfortable here right now. Because I'm in the same boat. I sit and say, well, my sins aren't like that. (laughs) There's two categories for us. There's respectable sins. These are okay. Okay. These don't get church disciplined. These don't get special sermons about them. These are things that we just kind of overlook and say, that's not too bad. And I'm not that bad. It's just a little white lie, you know, just a little bitty things. I'm not. That's not bad. And then we have reprehensible sins. And we sit here and think because our sins are respectable and everybody else's are reprehensible, that we, we are so much better than they are. And we wouldn't dare be around those people. We wouldn't dare welcome them into our church. We're going to have fellowship here in a minute. And, and if Josh passed bread to one of them, who does he think he is? Look what it says. I mean, that, that's, uh, I'm not making this stuff up. The Pharisees saw it. And look what they do. <laughs> they go to his disciples as they're walking out of the house. It's, that's what it says. They don't go to Jesus They catch these disciples coming out like a sniper just getting one at a time. Hey, come over here let me ask you something. Just one at a time because that's how it always works. A whisper behind the back, not talking face to face. They didn't want to come to Jesus. Jesus had already put them in their place just a few verses earlier. Let's see if we can get the guys who don't know as much as Jesus. And we're going to pull them to the side. Hey, disciples, come over here. And they're going to talk to them. It always happens with a whisper. Always happens behind the back. And I'll even say this. Oftentimes, hot happens in the parking lot. Amen. There we go. Never face to face. Never direct. And they look, at, they look at these disciples and they say, look, look what it says. The Pharisees saw it and they said unto his disciples... Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? And they're not really wanting to know. This is is not an honest question. This is like when my wife looks at me when we're getting ready to leave and she says, you're not going to wear that, are you? (laughs) She's not asking me a real question. She's telling me to go change. And what he's saying here is, do you see what he's doing? Do you see who he's eating with? This is just, and they're going to the disciples because there's just a little shred of doubt in the disciples' mind. I'm going to talk to the disciples and maybe they'll get some doubt and they'll leave him and come to us. It's satanic to try to separate people in that way. A whisper of doubt about their master. And they're making this accusation if jesus eats with sinners then in their mind he must be one too so the accusation they're making here is jesus is just as sinful as the tax collectors and as the sinners they're accusing jesus of being a sinner himself and that's not the only accusation that they give you can look down at verse 14 i'm not going to do a whole lot of detail on these verses but they make another accusation about him here then it says and then came to him the disciples of John saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast all the time? But your disciples aren't fasting. They're at a party. You get, I mean, What they're saying there is, you make religion out to be more fun than what it ought to be. We fast and we, we, we don't eat and we're so serious all the time and we're, we're mad about our religion. And he needs to be that way too. He's in there eating. What does he think he's doing? He's making this out to be more fun than what it is. (laughs) He's bringing joy to life. (laughs) Right? They're accusing him of of not being religious enough. And he says, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom's with them? He says, No, no, this is a time for joy. We just saw Matthew get saved. It's a time to be happy. You fast when you're sad, (laughs) rejoice when you're happy. He says, the days will come when they'll fast, yeah. And then those verses 16 and 17, he says, i am not come to, to bring something old to old religion. This is, this is going to be new. There's joy in this. I'm not going to do things the way you want me to do it. So they make two accusations, that he's eating with sinners and that he's not religious enough. It's just one accusation after the next. And what they're really saying is, how can this guy claim to be God when he doesn't meet our criteria? He's hanging out with them. We'd never hang out with them. He's having fun. We'd never have fun. How can this guy be if he's eating the sinners? And Jesus hears them. <laughs> you see that? But when Jesus heard that, when Jesus heard it, I can't hear more than one person at a time. But Jesus is in the house with his supernatural, divine, omniscient He hears exactly what's going on outside with his disciples. He steps outside and he puts them in their place. And look what he says. Love this answer. He says, you want to know why I'm eating with sinners? Here's why I'm eating with sinners. I'm closing. Here's why I'm eating with sinners. And he gives them three answers. He gives them a logical answer, a biblical answer, and a personal answer. The logical answer is, here's why I'm meeting with sinners. Because they that be whole don't need a doctor, but those who are sick. That's logical. Doctors go to sick people. You never see a sign on a hospital door that says, no sick people allowed. Do you? But in some churches, you might as well have a sign on the outside that says, no sinners allowed. And Jesus says, we're not here for Well, people. We're here for sick people. We're here for sinful people. Jesus is saying, I'm a spiritual doctor, and I have come here to help sick people, spiritually sick people. He didn't come to condemn, but to save. He didn't come to shake his fist at them, but to fix them. These Pharisees would have been lousy doctors and it makes for lousy churches. When you will stand and condemn every sinner in the world. Our towns terrible. <laughs> Her nation's going to hell. And you're sitting and condemn everybody but offer no remedy. You are a lousy doctor. If if I go to the doctor and I sit down there and he walks in and he says, Push, you are sick. <laughs> and he says, see you later. <laughs> what kind of doctor is that? But then you've got preachers that will stand up and churches that will do the same thing. You all are sinful, sick, depraved, abominable, wretched, and vile. See you later. Hope you can fix that. Lousy doctors and lousy churches that will offer the problem but not offer the remedy for the problem. You say, Josh, why do you preach the gospel and Jesus every single time you get up? It's it's like a record on repeat. Jesus, Jesus, (laughs) Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. I want to stand up here and offer you the remedies. The only one that can forgive you of your sins. And then he gives them another answer. They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. And then he says, and here's the biblical answer <laughs> Go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He says, You guys need to, again, think about this. The experts of the law. And Jesus looks at him and says, You guys need to go back home and learn some stuff because you don't know what I'm really after. You guys need to get back to the basics. You need to, to go back to the books. And he quotes Hosea 6.6 6, and he says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And what he's saying is, these guys over here, they're so nitpicky about every little detail of this and that and the sacrifices and all these things, but they have totally missed out. And these are minor. They've totally missed out on the major, which is an offering of mercy to those who are in sin. You are missing the major. Because you're so focused on the minor. And then he gives the personal answer. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I think it's one of the great verses in all the Bible. I've not come for the righteous. And get this, there's not any righteous. The Bible says again, there's none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'll sit down with people all the time, kids usually, and I'm they come and ask me about the gospel. And I hope there's kids here today that's thinking about the gospel. And the first thing I ask them, I'll tell them about who God is, that he exists, that he's given us his law, that his law is perfect, his law is holy, and it's what we're supposed to follow and abide by. And then I'll say, now, have you broken that law? Have you sinned? And every every time, just about this, it's a say, And then I'll look at them and I'll say, but the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means me. And I'll say, and that means you. Have you broken God's law? And then it becomes, I have. Tears. I have. There's none righteous. There's a whole lot of self righteous There's many that think they're righteous. And Jesus says here, and and this is an amazing statement, I've not come for those who are self-righteous. I can't do anything for them. They don't need Jesus. They don't need saving. Why would they believe in Jesus when they can believe in themselves? Why would you who think you're well go to the doctor? I have to be on my deathbed before I will go to the doctor. Steph will say, you need to go to the doctor. No, I'm fine. I've been in the bed for a week. You know, It has to be bad for me to go to the doctor. And these people think they're so good that they don't need Jesus. He can't save anybody who doesn't think they need saving. So who did he come for? I've not come to call the self-righteous. The sinners to repentance. There's that word again. Wicked, vile, worst of the worst, the bad. I've come to call them. To repentance. And I would underline that word repentance because Jesus isn't sitting there having a good time with these sinners, talking and eating. He's telling them that they are sinful and that in order to be saved, they need to turn from those sins. Because that's what a friend does, is it not? A friend of sinners doesn't leave people in their sins, a friend of sinners is not going to condone sin. If I'm your friend and I see you doing something that is harmful to you, if I'm a good friend, I'm gonna say, hey, that has to stop. A friend of sinners is not gonna say, hey, go live how you want, I still love you. A friend of sinners is gonna say, hey, that's wrong, it'll send you to hell, stop doing that! That's what a real friend does. That's what a real preacher does. Don't condone sin. I'm not going to wink at sin. We're not going to ignore sin. A good friend will not leave you in your sin. So Jesus says you're sinners and I love you. But you must repent. That's the message of John the Baptist. It's the message of Jesus. It's the message of Paul and of Peter. Repent or you'll perish in your sin. He's saying there do what Matthew did. And follow me. Repent. And that's the invite that he gives. I for I am not come to call. That's a great word call. It's a word that they use to invite people into their homes. Think about this. You had your high and mighty over here and your low over here. And Jesus said, I've not called you. I'm not inviting you to my home. Where's his home? In heaven. Not inviting you, self-righteous hypocrites. He would later go on to say, you whitewashed tombs. You're all dressed up on the outside. You get that, what a whitewashed tomb is? Go to a graveside, and they keep those graves so pretty on the outside. they got flowers all around them. They're clean. They're beautiful. But what's on the inside? Dead men's bones. Nasty, defiled. And Jesus looks at these guys, all dressed up, all perfect, all know-it-all. And he says... I'm not calling you to my home. I've come to call sinners like these people. Like Matthew. Like prostitutes. Like the thieves. Like the drunkards. Like the drug addicts. The adulterers. I'm calling you to repent of your sin and come to my home. That's a great statement. He's inviting them, sinners, to be saved. Matthew 11, Jesus invites the weary and the heavy laden. Matthew 22, Jesus invites the low lives. He gives a parable of a banquet and he says, go out and invite them to come. Go out and invite these group to come, these these, these high and mighty. And they go out and invite them and he says, they they, they don't pay attention to it. They They won't come to the banquet. They just, ah, no, no, no. And he says, now go to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. And they will fill my house. And there will be a banquet with the worst of the worst and the low of the low. Here Jesus invites sinners. Matthew eleven, he invites the weary and the heavy laden. Matthew twenty two, he invites the low lives, the ones in the highways and the hedges, those who are on the outskirts and the outcasts, those who are the farthest away from God. He invites them to come and repent and be saved. I'm going to get more specific here if you want me to. Who specifically does he invite here when he says sinners? I, this may get me in trouble. But I wrote down a list. If I had somebody in this room today that said, Josh, I've had an abortion. Does Jesus invite me? My answer would be, Jesus came for sinners just like you. If I had somebody come to me and say, Josh, I had a child out of wedlock. Does Jesus invite me? My answer would be, Jesus came for sinners just like you. If I had somebody come to me today and say, Josh, I've committed adultery, and I may be committing adultery right now living with someone, did Jesus come for sinners like me? My answer would be, Jesus came for sinners just like you. If I had somebody come up to me today and say, Josh, I'm a drug addict, did Jesus come for sinners like me? My answer would be, Jesus came for sinners just like you. If I had somebody come to me to say, Josh, I'm an alcoholic, I've been on it my whole life and I, can't get, all, I can't, get, can't get away. Did Jesus come for sinners like me? I said, Jesus came for sinners just like you. If I had somebody come and tell me, you say, Josh, how long is this list? I'd say, it's long. If I had somebody come to me right now and say, Josh, I've lived a depraved and wicked and evil life. I've done some terrible things. If I had somebody come to me and say, I've committed murder, Does Jesus come for me? came for sinners just like you. How about this one? If I had somebody walk up to me today and say, Josh, I've lived a life of a homosexuality. Because that's a sin. The Bible says it's a sin. And they looked at me and they said, Did Jesus come for sinners like me? I would say the Bible says, Jesus came for sinners just like you. had somebody come and tell me, Josh, I lived a life just like this guy did. I was a self-righteous sinner. I thought I was something good. I grew up in church. I went to a Christian school. I said all the right things and done all the right things. And I thought for sure if anybody was going to go to heaven, it would be this guy right. I didn't need to be saved from my sins. I was good. I was moral. I was upright. I knew all the Bible stories. I knew all the books of the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know, just get it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st. You know, just keep on going. I knew it all. Just like some of our kids in here think you're something because you've been in church. You were in church nine months before you were even born. <laughs> that ain't going to save you. Your self-righteousness is as bad a sin as anything I just named. Because in your self-righteousness, you lie about your own self, do you not? I mean, I could go down the list of the seven sins that God hates, and every single one of them falls into the category of self-righteousness. And you say, did Jesus come for sinners like that? I stand here today to tell you that Jesus came for sinners just like that. And the Jesus who forgave my sins is the Jesus who can and will forgive your sins. And why is that? Because oh my, oh my, Jesus is the friend of sinners. So if you're here today and you recognize your sin and you understand that you are a sinner deserving of hell, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And maybe today Jesus seeing you, mm, eye to eye, looking around the room. And he looks and he says, follow me, follow me. You need to immediately arise and follow Jesus. And you will gain so much more, so much more, than you'll ever give up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you the time you've given us in your word today what a glorious passage this was a reminder to maybe for me of where I came from and who I was and even what I am now a lot of the time and I am so thankful that you've showed me great grace that I'm not a good sinner, I'm a bad sinner I'm the worst of sinners like Paul said I admit that and God I would pray that in this room today that you would, by the power of your spirit and your word, convict someone of their sin today. Show them their need of the Savior and let them arise and follow you. May they believe upon you and find that you are truly a friend of sinners. And God, for those of us here who are saved and we know it, may we live it, and may we go to the circles of our friends and our family that we have, and may we tell them about a, a Savior who can forgive them of their sins too? And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music plays, the altar is open.